At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Kim Lehman to talk about beekeeping for kids. Kim has worked over 25 years as a honeybee educator, teacher, professional storyteller, how cool is that, musician, and author. She has presented hundreds of programs and workshops at schools, libraries, museums, nature centers, and festivals. Through her work, children have gained a greater understanding of the honeybee, nature's tiny treasure. As part of her children's column for Bee Culture Magazine, Kim began the Bee Buddies Club, which now has members in every state. Years ago, she founded the American Beekeeping Federation Kids and Bees Program and dedicated this educational service about honeybees for the public at the annual conferences in 15 states. Her book, Beekeeper's Lab, 52 Family-Friendly Activities and Experiments Exploring the Life of the Hive, was published this year. Welcome to the show today, Kim. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Oh my gosh. Always love talking about bees. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Well, you know, I've always been interested in nature. I grew up a free-range child in western Pennsylvania, and I've always been out barefoot, picking berries, from grapevines, and uh-huh. so that's always been an interest of mine. And 
I became very interested in herbs. I make all my own tinctures. And that kind of led me into a natural progression to being interested in keeping bees. So you just mentioned a word that I've not heard before. Actually, three words, free-range child. What is that? Tell me more about that. I think of that as when I was growing up, we didn't have very many confines. We knew everybody that owned the land. We just roamed around the hills. We made dams and went ice skating and walked barefoot through the woods. And we would leave first thing in the morning, uh-huh. and we'd come back about dinner time. <laughs> and it was my cousins and I, and uh-huh. we just had a great time. We just entertained ourselves. We could spend a whole day playing in the leaves. Mm-hmm. We could make little houses, little cabins with sticks, and I tapped a maple tree to make maple syrup. It was just, it was a really wonderful childhood of just playing outside all day. Yeah. And every day. Yeah. I I do remember that as a child of the 70s. I do remember that, uh, you know, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, so it wasn't the woods out there. But, you know, I had a paper route back then and I, you know, I'd disappear for hours on end just playing in the neighborhood. So I... I, I had a paper route too. Oh, nice. Nice. So you decided to write a book, Beekeeper's Lab, 52 Family-Friendly Activities and Experiments Exploring the Life of the Hive. Tell me about that. I really love all the products of the hive. Uh I mean, I love bees, but I love the honey and the pollen and the propolis and pollination. And I've been doing these educational programs. And so I just combined some of those ideas into this book so it gives things that families can do together Mm -hmm. just ideas that families can do together using beeswax or some pollination experiments or even ways to support pollinators so it was it was a fun project to do i'll bet so 52 family friendly activities they're uh, not specifically with honeybees, although some of them could be, I suspect, but they're, they're with the products of honeybees. Right. Uh, my feeling was there's a lot of beginning beekeeping books on mm. maintaining a hive, which is the same whether you're an adult or whether you're a child. It's right. similar kinds of process. And so I wanted to give a little bit of extra things that people can do. There is one activity of setting up a hive. If you don't have a hive, some Mm -hmm. tips on setting one up. And then, you know, activities with bees are things like finding the queen, making fuel for your smoker. Mm. And then there's all other chapters that have to do with using honey, cooking with honey, making honey sticks and things like that. Well, fun. Fun, real interactive stuff. You're actually getting your hands dirty and sticky, right? Yes, absolutely. And there's so much you can do with beeswax, and there's science, and there's art all surrounding the honeybee. It's just all-encompassing, and there's so many different things you can do. So what can you do with beeswax? I mean, obviously, we can make candles, but as far as my brain goes, that's like the end of it. What else? You can make a salve with the beeswax or lotions or creams. 
You can make furniture polish. Ooh. You can make leather conditioner. You can waterproof canvas bags. There's a lot of uses for beeswax. You can even make crayons. You can make um, wow. just all kinds of things with beeswax. It's very, very versatile. And there's a, there's a certain texture to it, is there not? There is. You know, it's like, like any wax, it, it's waxy. Yeah. <laughs> like it's wax. But with candles, they burn more efficiently if you have the correct wick. Uh-huh. It's smokeless. Um, oh, and it's nice. all natural. You know, what could be better? Right. It's exactly. not paraffin. <laughs> yeah. So what other products do do we get from hives? You mentioned a couple. Let's let's kind of run them down so that we get, a, you know, start educating me about what I can get from a, a beehive. Well, let's start with the biggest one uh-huh. that people think about, and that is... Honey. Honey. Exactly. The sweetness of the hive. Um the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, called it the elixir of life. Mm. Um, but honey, you when you buy honey, you want it to be raw and unfiltered. That way you get all the enzymes that the mm. bees have added to the nectar. And you also um, get some of the propolis, some of the bits of wax in the honey, and, it, and uh, when it's unfiltered. So... Right. That's the main thing, and local is possible because, to me, local is always better for many, many reasons. Uh-huh. So if you can get local honey, that's totally the way, to, the way to go. And with honey, it is a simple sugar. The bees break down the glucose and sucrose mm-hmm. from the nectar. Different flowers make different nectar, Ooh. make different honey. Right. So here in Texas, we have mesquite honey. It's a very light color honey. Oh, yes. Up in Ohio area, you have the buckwheat, very dark honey. So you have this whole variety of colors and flavors of honey, depending on the nectar. Mm -hmm. And honey, you can use it medicinally, both topically and internally. It's, It's not just sweet. It also serves a purpose. Right. So on on your skin, it is antibacterial. It is great for wounds, burns, those kind of things. I was going to ask that. I had I had heard in the past that honey was great for burns. Yes, it rejuvenates the skin. Uh-huh. It gives a protective layer. It moisturizes the skin because wow. it pulls. Uh, water from the air. Mm-hmm. It, of course, inhibits the growth of bacteria. So it's it's a wonderful thing that is often overlooked. I had a friend with a, a wound that was not healing, and I suggested honey to her, and she was kind of hesitant. And then she talked to her wound care nurse and said, oh, yeah, let's use this honey. <laughs> so, so it's being used. Right. In uh, traditional settings as well, traditional wow. medical settings. Nice. All right, cool. So, honey, we've talked mm-hmm. about beeswax. You mentioned something that I don't quite know what it is, and that's, you said propolis? Propolis. Propolis is a sticky resin that bees collect from mostly trees. Uh-huh. And the bees collect it because they waterproof their hive with it. Mm-hmm. 
and it keeps their hive sterile because it's antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal. Mm -hmm. And if something like a, a mouse gets into their, their house, they can embalm it. So they use the propolis. But we can scrape off the propolis from the hive, and it has all those characteristics, antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, and it is, it is fantastic. You can find it in toothpaste. Mm -hmm. It's great for periodontal disease. Oh. Yeah, it is really a great substance. It's one of my favorite products of the hive, actually. Mm, cool. Do you get to harvest a lot of it? It seems like maybe that's one of those things that you're not going to get a whole lot of. You got it. You don't get a lot. But, you know, for me, I'm just using it for myself, and I get plenty for my own use. Right. I make tincture, a propolis tincture, and give it to friends and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I use it to boost my immune system. Uh -huh. You know, I use it during cold and flu season. Nice. Okay, good. I know there's at least one more product of the the beehive, and I'm, I, I, I remember seeing it, and they're little yellow dots. I don't know what else to call them. What you are talking about is pollen. Hmm. Those pellets of pollen. Each pollen grain is microscopic. We can't see it, but right. when a lot of it is combined, like about two million grains, oh, wow. we can see that pellet on the leg of the bees. And the bees bring the pollen. It's their food source. It's mm -hmm. their protein source. Oh. So that's what the bees use the pollen for. But we can also use it as a food source. We can make bee bread. Pollen is has a really hard shell on it, uh -huh. and so we need to ferment that pollen to get to make it bioavailable. Bio oh, us. got it. So, uh -huh. Yeah, so we can do that by soaking it in honey, and the moisture of honey will help with that process. Or you can put it in juice overnight and soak it in juice overnight. So hmm. that's how we use it. But yeah, pollen has a lot of health benefits as well. Well, and that helps with the allergies, right? That's something we can take. For, yes. And yeah. so does propolis because propolis is increasing your immune system. Mm -hmm. And then one more thing that I just want to mention is Please. some people use, use the bee stings for medicine. The bee stings? Correct. Oh, wow. Um, I've taught, I've taught a number of people how to do it. This is all apotherapy. It's the therapeutic use of bee products. Mm -hmm. And when you get stung by a bee, it makes your body create its own cortisol. So your body is creating cortisol, which is an anti-inflammatory agent. Oh, my versus gosh. Versus taking it externally. So right. it also strengthens your immune system. So people with arthritis uh -huh. use it. Uh, people with MS or autoimmune disorders can use the bee stings for that. So, wow. Okay, I yeah, never would have guessed that lot. one. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of information out there about it, and I've used it successfully with people with arthritis. So, hmm. so it's also something worth mentioning. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. All right. So, what are the most important things that kids need to know, or we need to know, or understand about honeybees? Well, first of all. With children, I always like to talk about how small a bee is, uh -huh. but how very important it is, because I feel like it translates to them well. You know, they're very small little people, but they have so much to offer, too, and they have value. 
And I always impart the food and seed and pollination connection because I think that's mm. very important, you know, to our food source. Right. Being that about a third of what we eat is directly associated with pollination of honeybees and bees in general. So I always want to make that connection with children. And I never shy away from using scientific terms like metamorphosis or pollination mm. and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But, but to me, it's all about connecting and connectedness because the bees need the flowers, the flowers need the bees, the bees need the flowers to, for their food source, mm-hmm. and the flowers need the bees to produce seeds so they can have more plants. Oh, well, yeah. Well, and then we need the bees to eat <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly yeah. when and what kind of problems are we running into with keeping bees these days i know that there's been a lot in the news lately oh it's a lot harder keeping bees than it used to be uh varroa mite is something that is really destructive to mm-hmm. bees and mm-hmm. beehives um and then there is you know with agribusiness you have these huge swaths of land with just one kind of pollen. Oh, right. And so bees are suffering from some malnutrition because they need a variety of food like we do. And then there's pathogens, you know, bacteria and viruses that get into the hive. Right. Yeah, it's just a a lot harder beekeeping than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And then CCD, colony collapse disorder, which is something that we've been hearing about in the news. It's a combination of all those things, pesticides, the neonicotinoids, the lack of nutrition, the varroa mite, the pathogens, all of that contributes to colony collapse disorder. Yeah. It, it seems to me that you called it CCD, colony collapse disorder. It seems to me that's a, a symptom of a degrading um, ecosystem in the hive because of the external forces or external chemicals that might be coming into play here. Oh, pesticides definitely have a place in that, uh-huh. especially the new pesticides out there. Uh-huh. What troubles me is that we're using twice the amount of pesticides yeah. as when Rachel Carson wrote Silent Spring. Oh, my gosh. That's very disturbing to me. Yeah. Yeah, what can we do about that? Well, you know, the first thing, of course, is to go organic do not use pesticides to tell those around us, encourage them to not use pesticides. You know, there's political action that you can take. There's always letter writing and doing political action. Yeah. Uh, there's organizations that are really supporting pollinators. So all of those things. Yeah. Stand up and stand up for the bees. That's what I say. <laughs> right. Give, give bees a chance. Get, oh, there you go. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. So what can we do to support honeybees and other pollinators in the world? There there are so many things. I mean, we talked about going organic. Mm-hmm. Certainly one of the top things. But you can plant bee-friendly plants, pollen and nectar-producing plants. Mm-hmm. You can allow weeds to grow. Weeds are just plants. We don't know the virtues yet. Right. So you know, a lot of weeds are flowering Herbs are great, and you want to plant swaths of colors instead of one little plant here and one little plant there. Oh, yes. It helps them, yeah, it helps in their efficiency for pollination. It helps them to find the plants. So think 
things like that. You can even put solitary bee houses out. You can make them and put them out or just drill some holes in a log for solitary bees. Those are called bee blocks, um, right? Yes, there's a lot of different names for them, but they're basically for uh, solitary bees, mm -hmm. the mason bees. And you can use, um, in the book, I talk about making them out of rolled paper in a can. You can drill holes into wood. Um, I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. So that, yeah. And so it's just providing a habitat for solitary bees. Right. So this brings up another question. I thought there was only a honeybee in the world. Well, no, I, I know the difference there, but a lot of people may think that there's only honeybees out in the world. That is a good question because you're not alone, and, uh, and people do just think of bees as honeybees. Yeah. But there are 20,000 20, different kinds of bees. Whoa, 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 whoa. 20,000 yeah. different kinds of bees. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, you know, there's like squash bees and sweat bees and carpenter bees. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of uh -huh. bees. And so that's what makes bees the best pollinator in the world. Uh-huh. They pollinate like over 75% of flowering plants. And that's what makes honeybees such a great pollinator is there's 60,000 of them in a hive. Oh, right. Exactly. And they have, yeah, they have to feed all these babies and they need the pollen to feed the babies. So it makes them great pollinators. So we have pollen and the, the bees are going out and collecting pollen. Are they collecting nectar as well? They're collecting the nectar to make the honey. So when they go out, they collect four things. Okay. They collect the pollen mm -hmm. for food. They collect the nectar to make honey, which is their carbohydrate food. They collect water because all living mm -hmm. things need water. water. Mm -hmm. And then they collect that propolis too. So they collect those four things. Oh, wow. Oh, I can't even imagine a honeybee flying around with all of that stuff. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Wow. All right, cool. So, you know, given you know a lot about bees, I, I have a, a specific one I want to ask you about. I have these really cool black bees. They're about maybe the size of a silver dollar. And I call them carpenter bees because they like drilling, drilling holes or chewing holes in old dead wood. What are they? It sounds like a carpenter bee to yeah. me. Yeah. They're kind of a stocky body. Uh-huh. Yeah, it sounds like a carpenter bee. I, I actually was sitting on a porch and I heard this, this chewing sound. I'm like, what is that? And I looked around and it was a carpenter bee. I could actually hear it chewing on the wood. Wow. I have an old log in the backyard and I noticed that the carpenter bees were chewing holes in it. Now, are they solitary bees or are there more than one living in each hole? You know, as far as I know, they're solitary bees. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that I didn't mention you can do to help pollinators is just allow dead wood to lay on your property mm. as habitat. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. You're right. supplying habitat to those bees. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, I had a couple of branches fall off of one of my, you know, one of my very large trees here on the property. And part of why they fell off was that the woodpeckers had, you know, created habitat in there. So when they fell off, I just let them, you know, because they're cool to look at. They're like nature art pieces, right? So I, you know, I just left them there and the carpenter bees have taken up residence in them. So Kindred, our podcast editor, has a question. He says, how much of all four of those 
substance does does one honeybee produce? Oh, that's a really good question. In a lifetime of a worker bee, uh-huh. they can make about one sixteenth of a spoonful of honey. Oh my gosh. And, you know, they work so hard, they work all together. And if you added up all the, the distance of going back and forth of all the bees, mm-hmm. it is about the distance of twice around the world for just a pound of honey. Oh, my gosh. It is liquid gold. Oh, no kidding. How cool is that? So how did you get started keeping bees? Well, I've always been interested in herbs and gardening, and I had a friend, Mac Ray, an older gentleman that became my beekeeping mentor. Oh, cool. He had kept bees for many years, and we would go out together, and we would catch wild swarms, and he was just so supportive and so kind to me throughout the years in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. He was a mentor for me. It much, much more than beekeeping, but he's the one that got me started. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of mentors. I have a couple that I still interact with on a weekly basis. And, you know, it's, it's a great way to learn in the world these days. Oh, it's an excellent way to learn, and it keeps us connected. Right. And I think that in the bee community, there, we have a lot of aging beekeepers out there. I know that my beekeeper, Verl, uh, you know, he's getting up there in age, and, you know, it's like when Verl's gone, who am I going to learn about bees from? That's right. That's right. And uh, the the biggest advice that I have for people that are just getting started keeping bees uh-huh. is find a mentor. Mm. It's so important to have a mentor. Yeah, big time. How would one go about finding a mentor? I recommend joining a local beekeeping organization. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. And they're very active, and that's the first place to start. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. And you, you, let's see, you have an organization that you started. You founded the American Beekeeping Federation Kids and Bees Program. Yes, they had a conference here in Austin, and I felt like we needed to do something for the public. So I organized an event for the public to come in, especially for children, to learn Mm -hmm. about honeybees. And it was so successful that I continued doing it at the national conventions all over the country Uh and educated many people in many cities about honeybees. It's great fun. And I still do that as a freelance entertainer and educator. Nice. Well, thanks for all that great information. Uh, And I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Oh, there's lots of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to but life, have, right? Yeah, right. Welcome to life. But I'd have to say, in the beekeeping world, when I lost my first hive mm. to Varroa mite, it was devastating because mm-hmm. I felt like I really let the bees down. But you learn from that. You learn other techniques and things to do, mm-hmm. how to measure the mite count in your hives, oh. and just go on. And what I tell all beekeepers is, it's not if you get varroa mite, it's a matter of when. Mm-hmm. And it's just something to be vigilant about, and, and don't beat yourself up too badly if you lose a hive to scounding or starvation or even the mite. Got it. What is a mite? It's a little little bug, right? 
It is. It looks like a tick. It's really, and it gets on the bee and weakens a hive. Mm. So how do you determine whether you have mites and how do you do a count of them? There's a whole lot of different ways to do that. Do counts. You can do sugar roll where you put bees in a jar with some powdered sugar and roll it around to knock the mites off. And then you can count those mites. Mm. You can Oh. So there's a lot of different ways that you can look at that. You can look at, pull out some drone cells because they're more likely to be in drone cells mm-hmm. and just kind of keep an eye out. And some people just treat as a matter of course. They just treat their hives because they're so prolific. Yeah. What are you treating with? There is, uh, you can treat with Simol. There's some different chemicals that I do not support. Mm-hmm. But you can use thymol uh, is out there. Oxalic acid is out there. Mm. So there's some other things that you can use. There's something called HopGuard out there that you can use. So for mites on our chickens, we use diatomaceous earth. That would not work because the mite is inside the cells of a developing pupa. So so you wouldn't have contact. It wouldn't have contact. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I really wouldn't advise using that on the bees. Got it. Because of the exos, exoskeleton, too. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hello, of course. <laughs> Slap my hand. Because that's, <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, I, I was thinking small, but bees are small. So, yeah, don't use they diatomaceous are. earth in your hives. So what do you consider your biggest success? You know, for me, I like to think of success as not being so much about all the things that I do or have mm-hmm. done, but more about who I am, the things that are important to me. And that being said, I think a lot of success is about overcoming obstacles and adversity, how you go about doing that. So for me, I feel like my biggest success is overcoming my shyness. As mm. a child, I was extremely shy, and mm-hmm. I just kept putting myself out there and putting myself out there being uncomfortable. And oh, now, good for you. I'm in front of people all the time. I'm a professional yeah. storyteller. And I'm in front of people all the time. But but also, um, I'm dyslexic. I was just mortified to read aloud. Oh. And I've been able to over, overcome that as well. Yeah. So to me, my biggest successes are things that I've been able to uh, overcome and obstacles I've been able to overcome. Yeah. One, I'm going to call this epic here. I, I'm always looking for epic moments in our conversations, and I'm going to call this epic. And the, the epic for me is that you were able to see that that was something that you needed slash wanted to overcome, and you overcame it. Because so often in life, we as human beings aren't able to see that. Or if we are able to see it, you know, we don't have the courage to jump in and make that change. So kudos to you. Thank you. It does take a lot of courage and uh, perseverance, too. Yeah. Yeah, that is the case. So what drives you? Well, you know, like I was raised with a really, really strong work ethic. Mm. Uh, I grew up in a, in a Mennonite home, in a Mennonite community. So simplicity and community were all those things that were and are really important to me. Mm-hmm. So I would have to say that I get a lot of satisfaction 
when I feel like I'm improving my own life and improving the lives mm. of living creatures around me. Yeah. And I'm deeply moved by kindness. Acts of kindness really, really move me. Yeah. Wow. Cool. So I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there a book that's been influential for you in this process in your life? Well, you know, I have to say, when I think of, if I had to choose just one book, mm -hmm. I would have to choose Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for mm -hmm. Meaning. And it kind of goes along with what drives me, and that is that uh, finding value and meaning mm -hmm. in what I do really adds to my happiness. Mm. In his book, he really describes things that I know deep down inside, and he puts words to them, and he gives me a whole different perspective mm. on meaning. And I just, that's my go to book. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. So, what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would have to say that um, something that I do that really helps me is that a couple of days a month, I go completely screenless. Oh, nice. I, you know, no news, yep. no Facebook, no TV, no emails, no texting, nothing. And it puts me in a whole different frame of mind. It breaks up my patterns. Uh -huh. It totally frees me up. If I do use my phone, it's to call somebody to talk in person and mm -hmm. have a real conversation. Yep. I find I have to just really set that intention yeah, and put the phone away, turn off the TV, and just go into another world. Mm -hmm. And that's been really valuable for me. So I have a deep question for you, and I, and I kind of planted the seed for it a couple of minutes ago in our conversation. And that is, you know, as human beings, we don't have a tendency to go out and discover those things that will make us better. Uh, in fact, I have my, I call it my 99-1 rule. 99% of the time people change because they get hit by a Mack truck, you know, metaphorically. And 1% of the time, right? right? And 1% and of the time people choose to change. And it sounds to me like you've got a pattern in your life where you're able to articulate for yourself what needs to change, and then you actually choose to change it, which is what I believe is one of the great skills in the world to be able to see about yourself and then actually make it, make that change. Where did you come up with that at? Probably my background, being raised kind of with that work ethic and persevering. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that I am a master procrastinator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> welcome to life, right? Really, really, yeah, I do that really, really well. Yeah. So for me, I have to just make a decision and then I have to take a little piece. I get overwhelmed very quickly and easily. Yeah. So if I look at the whole thing, I, I just get too overwhelmed. I do nothing. So I just take off a little teeny bit mm -hmm. and I say, I'm going to do this. And then I just keep taking off that little bit at a time. You know, that old phrase, uh, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a One time, bite at a time. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Where you just take a little piece and just break it into pieces. And I wanted you to take it further for me. How did you know? How did you get to a place where you could actually look to see and say, oh my gosh, that is something I need to change about myself? And then you're able to change it. Because there's a there's that place where we have to have that realization first. 
Oh, yeah. And I always come from a point of, I don't really know. And so I often ask trusted friends mm. to help me be myself. Yeah. People, people that I really trust that are going to be really constructive because yeah. I always think, you know, I don't really know when I'm being a grump. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I need help from others. And, you know, that's where a support community comes in just to help, to pull me aside and say, you know, it doesn't seem like you're really happy these days. You know, what's going on? Right. And help guide me. So it's, it's not something that I do alone or solo. Yeah. It's about the community. Yep. It's about the community. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Kim. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed this conversation. Absolutely. So tell us the name of your book again. The name of the book is Beekeeper's Lab. It is 52 family-friendly activities and experiments exploring the life of the hive. Mm, nice. And people can find that, obviously, online uh, at your local bookstore. Uh, how do we get a hold of you? I have a website. It is Kim, K-I-M, Lehman, L-E-H-M-A-N dot com. I also have another little self-published book called Ruth Cooks. It's family stories and recipes from my great aunt. Wow. And so I have that as well. I'm really interested in oral histories mm -hmm. and collecting home remedies and wild foods and canning recipes and those kind of things. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. So that was com. Yes. Perfect, perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash bees for kids. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.
One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.